Hello from the newsroom of the Financial Times in London. I'm Suzanne Blimson. Last year's contest to select a new president of Chess's governing body, FIDE, was the bitterest in the organisation's history, with accusations flung from all sides of bribery, electoral fraud, embezzlement and a vast diplomatic influence campaign waged by the Russian state. Sam Jones has been investigating what's happened and he spoke to John Thornhill about what he discovered. Sam, you've written a wonderful article for the FT magazine about the geopolitics of chess and the fierce fight to run its governing body, FIDE. Given that a computer or a $10 million alarm clock, as Gary Kasparov called it, beat the best human player back in 1997, why does chess matter anymore? Um, I suppose you could ask a similar question about any kind of game playing in a way that obviously from a sort of human point of view, something attracts us to the competition, the display of skill, because I suppose we could have designed a perfect football playing machine had we have wanted to or a perfect bridge playing machine but it would be no fun to watch two machines play against each other would it so we don't do that and the only reason we're interested in watching Deep Blue play Kasparov is because Kasparov is there and we want to see him pit his human wits against machine so I think regardless of the abilities of computers to handle chess and by the way they still are not perfect chess players there will always be a space and a need for people to watch that kind of competition. And I think the interesting thing insofar as this article goes is that that's the heart of the issue really. It's about what games humanity plays with each other and the significance those games have. And chess is one of the oldest, isn't it? You know, it goes back hundreds, thousands even of years if you want to go deeper into history, right back to India. It was of significance to rulers. It was of political significance hugely throughout history, right back to the sort of Uig chessmen on Lewis. You know, they were symbols of something that politically, culturally connected a world. And for many, it still has that cultural and political relevance. It is still enormously popular as a game, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It's something perhaps that in the UK and certainly in some parts of Europe and the US as well, it might not be immediately obvious because it's not a sort of mainstream sport. You know, you don't see it on TV for obvious reasons. There can't be much more boring than watching chess on TV. But it is hugely popular. And there was a YouGov survey, I think, in 2012, so even that a little bit out of date now, which suggested that there's more than 600 million regular chess players in the world. And the interesting thing about it as well is that even if you're not a regular player... It's a sport or a skill, a game that has touched a lot of people and a lot of people have played it or certainly know how to play it. I think, you know, in some places, 70%, the statistics said from that YouGov survey in Europe of people have played it at some point and therefore know the rules of it. So it's got this sort of huge cultural resonance, uh, even if we don't see it all the time on our screens. Now, for a supposedly cerebral game, the fight to win control of FIDE has involved an extraordinary amount of low-down politics, involving, as you put it, small-time oligarchs and corrupt officials broking deals in Siberian mining towers and Islamic theocracies. Why has this battle become quite so heated? I don't know. It's sort of an interesting one to explore. I'm not sure there's a clear answer. There's a degree to which it's that sort of old adage, which is often attributed to Kissinger, but is actually Wallace said about student politics, that the process is so vicious precisely because the stakes are so small. And you could probably say something of that about FIDE, because the amounts of money to run FIDE are not huge by any means, although we're talking millions, but we're not sort of in FIFA levels of wealth. But at the same time, you know, it's a universe of people who are competing 
competing with each other. You have a very particular kind of people that end up in chess, obsessional, very intelligent, people that quite literally spend their lives playing games, so why don't they do that politically as well? But also, you know, since the end of the Cold War chess has been in search of a meaning really because it had such relevance political relevance during the cold war in this sort of post-cold war period it's still got a lot of cultural cachet and people are obviously trying to latch onto that and to use that for various purposes but at the same time it's been a little bit rudderless until recently and a little bit forgotten and you know it hasn't had the direct attention of the kremlin or certainly not in washington anyone in power there you know we're not at the sort of fisher spassky kind of match in Reykjavik level of international awareness Now, you say that there has been a revival of interest in chess and Vladimir Putin, Russia's president, is clearly someone who has taken an increasing interest in chess. And he said once, chess makes men wiser and clear-sighted. Does he see chess as a means of reasserting Russia's soft power? I think increasingly, yes. I mean, FIDE has been run for the past 20 years by a very colourful Russian national called Kyrsan Ilumzhinov. And he hasn't exactly been the best representative of Russian influence around the world. I detect uh, a euphemism. Yes, well, quite. He's sort of said that he was met by aliens on his balcony at one stage. He's sort of said that chess was gifted to the world by aliens. But he's also had some sort of quite shady dealings with unsavoury characters like the Assad family in Syria, for which he was recently sanctioned by the US Treasury. But the new head of FIDE, Arkady Dvorkovich, is a much higher calibre Russian, recently deputy prime minister and the organiser of the World Cup in Russia last summer. And clearly, whilst restoring FIDE to some degree of kind of international prominence and credibility, will also be doing a lot to champion Russian soft power interests by saying here is an organisation, a sporting organisation that Russia is not only in charge of, but cleaning up, which obviously is going to have a particular importance in the wake of the doping scandal, which continues to dog Russian athletics. I think the other point to make is that Putin and his method of power, his conception of power, draws so very heavily on the Soviet past and the Soviet experience of Russian greatness. And so the significance of chess is that it was such an important part of the Soviet conception of soft power and Soviet influence that even if ideologically Russia is moved on by years, it still has this importance culturally that Putin wants to tap into. Now, there were three contenders to succeed Ilyumzhinov when he was pushed out. Why did Dvorkovich win? Well, I mean, I don't think there was a clear choice. So it wasn't a simple case of, you know, the Russian candidate versus the reform candidate versus... Uh, FIDE has had these issues uh, under Ilyumzhinov for a long time around mismanagement, around corruption, allegations of bribery in the organisation. And the problem was that you previously had a Russian, Ilyumzhinov, who was very opaque in his financial affairs running it. And then in the elections, you had three candidates, as you say. You had a Russian who was promising reform and had obviously delivered a very successful World Cup and had credentials for that. And then you had an insider, Georgios Makropoulos, who was a sort of long-time lieutenant of Ilyumzhinov and therefore tainted by that, but simultaneously also promising reform, rather unconvincingly, but simultaneously also saying that he's not the Russian and he's not bribing anyone in the elections. And then you had a third candidate, the Brit Nigel Short, who I think was always very much an outside candidate and divided people on a personal level in FIDE because of his quite spiky comments previously and his long history of antagonising people in the organisation. 
organisation. And he fell behind Dvorkovich, even though he had been quite critical of him at the start, I understand. He did. So, I mean, Nigel's point was very much that it was better to have a competent pair of hands running FIDE, regardless of whether they were Russian or not, than it was somebody who he felt was incompetent and had been running it for the past 20 years in the form of Macropolis. And there's definitely a personal animus between Macropolis and Nigel Short as well that sort of flavoured their uh, relationship. And at the last minute, he declared his votes for Dvorkovic and rather stingingly, in very characteristic fashion, posted on Twitter a picture of himself shaking hands with Dvorkovic at Simpsons in the Strand in London, which is this storied chess restaurant. And he captioned it underneath, how do you say, checkmate in Greek, clearly aimed at his, his opposition. So how does Dvorkovic intend to promote chess? Well, I mean, if his last few months have been anything to go by, then money is going to be a key element of it. So he's delivered on the promises he made in the election by putting €3 million into FIDE to fund development. He's also promised a much more rigorous oversight regime of chess. So he's mentioned that, you know, every penny spent will be judged by performance indicators. He's no longer going to be sort of pushing money into regional federations with no sense of what it's being spent on. And he's definitely, I think, hoping to build on the relationships he has in the football world and elsewhere in the sporting and political world to sort of revive the prominence of FIDE in Europe and the US, the West in particular, because I think there it really has fallen into disrepute. And there was a a real danger for quite a long time that in the US in particular, uh, Federation there and its supporters, people like Kasparov, in fact, would split away from FIDE altogether. So when I met Dvorkovic, he'd come straight from Davos, where he was sort of pressing the flesh with CEOs and politicians, many of whom he knows. And I think one of the other things he's done is already try to build relationships with FIFA directly. He's actually friends with Infantino at FIFA and invited Infantino to give a little sort of a speech for him at his election at FIDE. And they have already, I think, announced some sort of chess football events that are going to be held together in the future. So more of that kind of thing, I think to imagine what they might be. But thank you very much, Sam. That was John Thornhill talking to Sam Jones. And you can find a link to Sam's article in our show notes. Thanks for listening. Remember, if you're not already a subscriber and would like to discover more FT content, you can find our latest subscription offers at ft.com slash offer. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com.